How can I make money in the music business? Why copyright? Should I make a CD anymore? Trying to break into the music and entertainment biz? Wondering how the business works? Wondering how guys like Elton John and MC Hammer go bankrupt? Why am I not making any cash? Tune in to WP Brave New Radio every Wednesday night at 8 o'clock. Hang with the university's music business faculty hosts, me, Steve Marconi. And me, Dave Phil. Plus, we'll have industry guests and students from the music management program. How do I get gigs down at the shore? Call in with your questions and hear the latest in industry happenings. How do I get my music on iTunes? How do I get on a tour? It's Music Biz 101 and more every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Only on WP Brave New Radio. Your secretary's got our checks, right? Mine's direct deposit, I think. <laughs> we are live. This is Music Biz 101 and more. I am your professor, Dave Philp, along with your doctor. Marconi. Dr. Stephen Marconi with a PH. You can call him Steve with a V or add the PH for a PhD, which he does not have. Because That's correct. What is it that you have? What is your degree? An EDD. He has an EDD, which stands That's for what? My what? Uh, Entertainment. Uh, He used to watch the show Mr. Ed in black and white. We are here today talking Music Biz 101 and more. We're on Brave New Radio 88.7 WPSC. We have two special guests with us today. Our first guest is a student guest. Her name is Shire Feingold. Hello, Shire. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you doing? We are doing wonderful. And then Dr. Steve will uh, introduce our main main man guest. Yes, sure. we have uh, I'm very fortunate to have a celebrity here tonight who is uh, a celebrity, a, an adjunct faculty member, a close friend, a graduate of the graduate uh, program in music business, Mr. Aaron Van Dyne, and we'll be getting more to him a little later. Say hello. Hello, everybody. Oh, it's great to have you, Aaron. You sound very wonderful on the radio. Used to listening to you, not on the radio, but listening to you on the radio, it, it just adds that little extra something. It'll be a new career. It's like having a turkey burger and putting some avocado. You're the avocado for Music Biz 101 and more. I'll take it. And, and, and by the way, avocado is very healthy, just as you are. So we appreciate this. Okay. We have a couple things that we want to plug, Dr. Yes, Steve Marconi. What is happening in just a few days from now here at Shea Center for Performing Arts? Actually, this Saturday night at 7.30, we have the second collage concert that is uh, actually put on by the entire music department. And we will feature musical, student musical ensembles and some faculty performances And the beauty of a collage concert is that normally no performance is more than three minutes long and there is no break between performances. So it gives you the opportunity or gives one the opportunity to actually showcase many more uh, talented groups than you would normally have. And we have... um, uh, we're going to do what we did last time, and that is the proceeds will go to the music department scholarship fund. So we are very excited about that, and you listeners should be hearing about that uh, if they're attentive, because there is a promo on this radio station. And you're actually going to hear that promo during this radio program. Great. <laughs> and next week on Music Biz 101 and more, we have a special guest. Harvey Leeds. And that is Harvey Leeds, who is, again, another close friend. And Harvey had had a wonderful career at uh, Sony Music before that, um, Columbia and Epic Records. 
And now he is a consultant for Live Nation, the number one concert promoter, and he has taken on an additional hat as he is now the personal manager for... Southside Johnny. Southside Johnny. That's correct. And Harvey will be... Um, he's not a man of few words, so we should have a great time with, uh, with Harvey. Hopefully the... Uh, Tape delay is working well when Harvey's here, and we can uh, make sure that he knows the seven words you are not allowed to say on mm -hmm. on the radio. And so that's, and then we have about a month month or so left of our, our live radio shows before we go on summer hiatus. Mm -hmm. But we have a lot of other guests that we're working on that hopefully are going to really wow you, you being the listener. And we have some other big news which just took place yesterday, which was that we've been working on turning this ah. into a podcast. Yes. And now we were officially accepted by Stitcher Radio, which is, a, I believe, the number two distributor of podcasts in the United States of America, mm -hmm. the number one being iTunes. And I'll, I'll explain in a moment why we are not on iTunes, but we are on Stitcher. And if uh, our listeners want to go to, right now to Stitcher.com, they can go there and they can type in Music Biz 101 and more, and we will be there in the business section of podcasts. And that's uh, that's pretty exciting because it helps spread the word about who we're talking with and what we're talking about. Very exciting. And uh, beyond that, let me briefly explain why we aren't on iTunes podcasts, uh -huh. because we're here to teach and, and inform people about what's going on. And... Aside from this show, generally uh, the intro music and the outro music on our show is is pre-recorded, licensed, copyrighted material from Pink Floyd's Money to last week we did three different versions of Money, That's What I Want, the original mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. tune we had. I think we played the Beatles, Barrett Strong, we played the Stones. And the iTunes people, when you submit a podcast to them, and by the way, it is free for iTunes or Stitcher to take your content and distribute it out as a podcast – they actually check it, and iTunes checked, and they saw that we used this music that was technically unlicensed for use for podcast, in their opinion. Even though we are a university, and this is, you would could argue, fair use. A technicality at yes, best. Yes, I know. So, uh, but I don't think they're looking at us as a university. I think they're looking at us as, as a couple guys in their underpants in the basement putting this together. Okay, with a podcast. Right, right. but um, we're not in a basement. And so and we uh, didn't have that problem with Stitcher. Didn't have that problem with Stitcher Radio. So mm -hmm. our podcast is available. And for those of you out there, I just taught a class this week about podcasting mm -hmm. and music and social media, too, here in the popular music studies program at William Patterson University. And we talked all about podcasts and how you get one on and how you get them out there and how to promote. And we promote them, for example, on live radio. And mm -hmm. we use our website. And you can go to our website right at this moment, if you'd like musicbiz101wp.com. And one very important thing that's happening today is we have lots of tweets. We are expecting some phone calls, all questions for our esteemed guest, Aaron Van Dyne. You may tweet us at this moment if you'd like. It's at musicbiz101wp, or you can call in 973-720-2738. At this point, would you like to grill our student co-host, Shire Feingold? Uh, no, I think we should pay credit to our... Guest engineer. We were our, our guest producer. We have generally our our man behind everything is Philip Gorhovsky, who had something come up. So our woman behind everything today is the fine, wonderful, somewhat awesome Alex Bevakwe. <laughs> and the crowd's going wild. 
It's great to have you, Alex. And then behind the glass usually is our fine man behind the glass, Connor Morrison, who is not here today. It is the wonderful, fine, exceedingly brilliant Hee-Yoon Wan. Thank you, mm-hmm. Hee-Yoon. <sighs> That's great. real crowd sounds that we spliced in there. Right. Yeah, outside, there are about 60,000 people outside the studio, the WPSC studios, right now, mm-hmm. trying to get mm-hmm. a piece of us. It's, it's difficult for Marconi and I to walk out of here without a, without a number of people, all, gen- all uh, genders, attacking us and trying. It's like a, a scene out of... More uh, than two. <laughs> all, than two all three genders. Uh, right. It's like a hard day's night. We're running down yeah. and we're hiding and it's uh, the monkeys. So, Shire, you came to us with a... Um, Already you were working in the industry, actually, and you decided to come back to school and get a graduate degree. And what uh, prompted you to check us out and um, to pursue your studies here? Yeah, um, I was working in New York City at Carl Fisher Music, publishing classical music, and I decided that I wanted to gain more knowledge on the business side of things because I've been a <clears throat> excuse me a classical musician since I was 12 and so when looking at different programs William Patterson was really unique because it offered music classes like music entertainment business classes but then you also had to take classes in the business school um, so I had to take an accounting class I had to take a marketing class so looking at the education here at William Patterson I knew I was going to get a very well-rounded education and so mm-hmm. that plus the proximity to New York City really made it an ideal fit for me. Uh-huh. And Aaron, why did you choose us to get your graduate degree? Well, I had my undergraduate degree from here. Uh-huh. And for I've been on the the uh, foundation board at William Patterson for I don't know 12 13 years, which I'm now as this year the chairman of the board. Uh but the main idea to come back was to get the degree for uh, to, to go on to teach. Mm-hmm. which I've always wanted to do, and I'm, I'm now doing it. Right. Great. And he Great. teaches a class with, with whom With oh, whom I, do you I teach this class? I teach a class with one of the top professors. Uh, I used to teach a top class with the top <laughs> doctor, Marcone, and now I teach it with the top uh, music professor, uh, Dr. Dave Felt. <laughs> right, a doctor who, yes. Too many doctors. I know. <laughs> one of which doesn't even have one. So, right. um why don't you do now our, your official introduction of, of well, Aaron Dan, sure, Van Dyne? I would love to. Uh, Aaron is in a sort of a, um, a position in the industry that isn't really well known that I believe, and certainly he will speak on this, has taken on even a greater role than it had 10 years ago. And it's more and more the um, business side of the artist is being um, entertained by the what used to be just known as the accountant or the certified public accountant, but now the name business manager, I think, is really uh, appropriate for what you do. So why don't you tell us a little bit of how you feel it's changed over the last 10 years or so, your role? Well, I think the role the role's probably changed over the last 15 years, maybe. Uh, we've been doing the same Thing. I've been doing the same thing for 30 years, but it has changed over the last 15 years in that we do more of a, act as a family office now for artists and, and, and sports people in the fact that we take care of all their uh, collections of all their funds, pay all their bills, um, get involved in leasing and buying automobiles, uh, airplanes, homes, selling homes, 
taking care of the extended family, and then taking care of their businesses outside of the music uh, industry that they're in. Mm-hmm. Besides taking care of everything in the music industry, we get involved in, in uh, other ventures that they're in. Mm-hmm. And how about um, input into decisions and the decision-making process by the management team or the, or the office? Are you called on more now than in the past to offer your ideas and your guidance? Uh, yes, it depends on the, on the client, but with most of them, uh, the way it works best is if you have a team, uh, and the team is usually the artist manager, the business manager, and the attorney. And with most of our clients, that's the team that how we work on each client. Mm-hmm. So we're, we are involved in uh, today I had nine hours of uh, solid meetings involving one client, which most of it had to do with an upcoming summer tour, and then the rest of it had to do with licensing deals that are going on all over the world. Mm-hmm. And some of your clients include? Uh, I'm fortunate enough for me, I've uh, ended up with some very nice clients. Uh, uh, the, client, the big clients are Kiss, Dave Matthews, uh, Three Doors Down. First client I ever started with back in 1982 was the Rascals. Mm-hmm. Uh, who just finished a tour last year, a, a reunion tour of sorts. Um, and then we do, uh, you know, about a dozen professional athletes in the NFL and the NBA and a lot of other artists. Uh, I can go on and just mention there's, there's, there's quite a few artists that we do and some actors, producers, singer-songwriters, um, theater people, dancers. And do you take guys, do you guys take on new artists we do. Um, we like to meet with them first, make sure they're 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 they're. Uh, yeah, I was just going to ask that you they have a realistic view of what they're getting into and that they truly want to be involved. And I was telling Mike class the other night, uh, we've had artists that have come in and they sit down and we call them baby bands and they come in at that level, and they're all hepped up on going on a tour. And then you find out the two of the guys say, "Well, I, I work or I can't leave." You know, they're, <laughs> they're not, they have to be committed. Uh, and if we feel they're really committed, because usually in the first year or so, we're not going to make much money, if any, uh, with them. And we're going to spend a lot of time, maybe more time with them than we do with some others. But if we truly believe that they have a, a you know, they're good people, good attitude towards making money, going forward, learning the business. Another thing I do is uh, I try to get all the uh, new artists to read like a Dave Passman book or a Steve Marconi book on touring and and business uh, overall, learn royalties. Uh, I, I don't want to deal with artists that just stick their heads in this and say, well, you do it. They should understand what their what a record royalty means and a publishing royalty and the performance rights societies and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, registering their songs with the Library of Congress. Uh, these people should be somewhat educated, and it's, it's better if they are. My, the best artists I deal with are the, are the ones that are the most business people. Do you so, find that most... New artists who come see you are educated, have some idea, or are a lot of them kind of come starting from zero? Most of them are at zero. Most of them are starting yes. from zero. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. There's not many that have that have gone through any music courses or anything like that. Some of them have learned along the way because they may have been in another band uh, and they've had bad experiences where mm-hmm. they, they you know they wrote a song and found out later they were never credited on the song. How do they know to come to you then if they're starting from um, zero? Well, th- there's various sources of people that send uh, new artists to us or any artist, even uh, you know other established artists, and that's from other artists, which is the best. You know, when mm-hmm. artists are on tour, a lot of times they'll talk to each other. Uh, entertainment attorneys, 
is a great source. Uh, agents, you know, uh, booking agents have sent us stuff. And then managers, mm-hmm. artist managers. So this is a word to the wise about educating yourself even prior to getting involved in the the jungle called the music industry. So uh, do you normally have a sort of a, uh, a, a criteria or a or a bar, for instance, that they should have a recording contract before they get in touch with you. Well, when when is the when would you suggest a baby band try to get the services of a of a business agent? Well, it, the recording contract used to be the norm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Believe me, if that's the norm, we wouldn't have a lot of new clients. <laughs> There's not many recording contracts around. But if a if the client if the band is going to go on tour especially if it's going to go on a multi-state tour. It has to form some sort of structure, some sort of entity. Uh, that's when they really need to get an accountant or a businessman or you're somebody involved because you have to file tax returns in these places. Now, if you're going to play some place for $200, probably nobody's going to notice. Mm-hmm. But if a lot of venues, retur- the, uh, the state division of taxations know everybody that's going to play there, and they expect uh, you know corporate tax returns or... To be filed, individual tax returns. So that's what, uh, you know, why the, the bands need to, even early on, need to hire somebody to take mm-hmm. care of that. Now, I've heard that one of the worst things a lackadaisical person, i.e. musician, can do is to file taxes for a few years and then not file for X amount of years. Uh, is that worse than never filing? Or for, or, uh, uh, I'm not sure what if you mean the, as the individual or as an entity. As an individual. As an individual. Well, because you'll be going through, and then maybe the drummer is in the circumstance. Uh, my co-host is a drummer here, uh, <laughs> but the the drummer is in the position where he used to file when he worked for Macy's, and now since he's been a musician, he hasn't filed in the last five or six years. Well, he may not be required to file, you know, if you don't make a certain amount of <laughs> income and you didn't receive any forms W-2 as an employee or mm-hmm. 1099 forms, which you might receive as a musician, or if you're a songwriter, mm-hmm. you would get your 1099s from one of the PROs or from your publishing company if you were involved with one. You'd ha- you'd be required to file mm-hmm. unless you're under, you know, a very low income level. Right, right. Okay. Uh Gene Simmons has your phone number. Uh, yes. <laughs> Is he gracious about it? Uh, when I started with Gene in 1992 with Kiss, and uh, I, I think it was in the third week, our Gene lives in, in California. The, around the third week, the phone rang at 2:30 in the morning. My <laughs> wife answered, and she says Simmons for he said Simmons for Van Dyne. She goes, well, this is Van Dyne. <laughs> this is Mrs. Van Dyne, and you know what time it is. So she gave him a little bit of a tongue lash, and I said, oh my God, it's probably lost the job. <laughs> but he's okay, never yeah. called me again at night. Uh, he uh, and Gene has learned how to text as well as I have. So. We, we, there's a lot of texts, but I hear from Gene uh, email-wise uh, multiple times during the day, and I do get occasional phone call. But he's very, very polite; doesn't bother me. Mm-hmm. To just when he's calling, it's calling about business. He's probably one of the most astute business people, and his partner Paul Stanley too, that I ever met. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One thing I'd like to throw in here that maybe you don't know: uh, Paul Stanley 
just came out with his new book. Yes. Which made number two on the New York Times uh, bestseller list. What's wow. the name of the book? Um, you know what? <laughs> uh, just, sorry. Just went blank on it. <laughs> of course. Uh, but it, he's touring it all over now. He's going doing these book shows. And uh, to come out number two, and he was on all the other lists, he was as low as maybe seven. But he's always he's been in the top ten on everything, mm-hmm. even on the e-book. So uh, I think that's a great accomplishment, his yeah. first book. And uh, everybody wants to read this. And, he's a, and he personally is a very accomplished artist. A uh, very accomplished artist. Visual yeah. artist. Yeah. We, we've, uh, he was doing a number of art shows for years and stopped him the last couple of years because now he has three little children and with the KISS touring schedule. Uh, but I think he's going to get back into uh, his artwork again and do shows. How difficult does it get for you for, for example, you, you work with a band, uh, KISS, and they have so many different streams of revenue as individuals and also as the band. I mean, you just mentioned Paul Stanley's book. They do touring. You, you've talked in the past about overseas, all the different licensing agreements they do with, with products. How how difficult or is it not difficult at all to keep track of all of this? And are, are you engaged in any discussions ever with um, with negotiations of any of this or that's all done by the lawyers and you're just dealing with the uh, the accounts receivable in, in the kiss world i work very closely with their lawyer that i spent nine hours today in meetings solid meetings nine hours we just broke for lunch that was it and it was mostly about licensing deals uh so he and i were on the uh, i think we had about seven or eight conference calls lined up and uh he involves me a lot in in the uh, negotiations or giving him input on you know doing the negotiations in terms of, of what royalty rates they should be getting? Well, royalty and, rates and just make sure when somebody's putting a deal in front of us that all the bases are covered. Because pretty much we have seen in that world, the KISS world, anything that could ever happen to you has happened. Mm-hmm. Everything. So, we, you know, we, we know what to expect. We know what to have in there to cover that something, there won't be a problem. You know, it's always better to have these things, these legal papers done up, up front right. Uh, and it, that goes for his bands too, you know, to have all their agreements in the very beginning, uh, done right. That's that's a big thing that I wanted to ask you about. That off, Offline, we've had this discussion a number of times about new bands. New bands come into you, and, and what is one of the first things that you ask that you suggest that a band should do? The, basically, well, the prenup. I we, mean, yeah, we want them, first of all, to select what kind of business structures they want, and then who's going to be who in the, in the structure, what the ownership is, if there's, let's just say, four people, What's the ownership level going to be? And then we talk about let's uh, we're we're going to have either LLCs or, or corporations. We're going to have shareholders agreements or operating agreements, and we explain what they are. You know, it's how this is formed. But there's also some great clauses in there as how you get out of it. It's always easy to get into something. It's very difficult to get out, especially if you don't have the right paperwork done. So a new band will come in and say, well, you know, we got to hire an attorney and pay that. And why would we do all that? I said, let me tell you something. You guys all love each other right now. Go out on a tour and spend a month in a van and then come back and tell me that you all love each other. It's very important. I've seen it over and over where it hasn't been done or that it has been done. And then years later, they say, thank God we have those agreements because it saved us from litigation. Mm hmm. And songwriter agreements, the other thing. Who wrote what on songs? Because you can always have somebody leaves the band, then they come back later and say, you know, I really wrote more than 25% of that song, or you're only crediting me with 10. We get these agreements done, right? When an album's done, they all sign who wrote what, everybody initials it, 
uh, we register with the Library of Congress or the publishing company does usually. If not, we do. But we make sure either BMI or ASCAP or some with CSEC that they have these songs, too, once the registrations are in. And this is the percentages. What advice do you give somebody who, let's say I'm a songwriter and I come to you and I work with my producer whom you've never met. And I say, you know, he did some of it, but we don't have anything in writing. How do you suggest that person approach, for example, the producer and say, I want to get something in writing without, because I'm sure a lot of people feel, well, once I get it in writing, then all of a sudden I'm changing our relationship. What if he gets mad at me and that kind of thing? How, if, how can they word that? If the, he or she is a real producer, that shouldn't be the case, because I've never met a producer that didn't want it in writing, because the producers later on will go on to work with other clients. They're not a member of that band. And they want to be protected down the road. So the first thing they'll want is a producer's agreement. And then they'll want what they call an LOD, a letter of direction, to the record company or the publishing company or whoever is going to pay them that they want to be paid directly. So they don't have to worry about the artist paying them in the future. So if this, if this relationship does fall apart or they don't work with them anymore, they're guaranteed to get paid. I, you know, there's producers. We deal with producers that worked on the Kiss albums back in 74. They're still these guys were still dealing with and paying the money sometimes, or some of them had the letters of direction. Um, it's very important to get all that done correctly. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Shire, did you have a class with Professor Van Dyne? I've, I've actually had a class with all three of you. Oh. <laughs> so I'm pretty lucky. You're very lucky, actually. Very lucky. Um, yeah, I had Aaron for my entrepreneurship class. Mm -hmm. What was really great about that class is he talked a lot about the same stuff he's talking about here, about how as a musician you have to think about the music, but also about the business side of things. Um, and in that class... Dave actually allowed us to kind of make a marketing plan and actually work with his own personal business. So we got some real life experience in that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And she was great. And that's that's <laughs> basically you. what we promote in our classes here is that there's a lot of hands on experiences going on. For example, on the undergraduate level, uh, George Dassinger always has a real project that the um, students as a class work on. Uh, whether it is in groups or individuals or whatever, but it's something that is real and they can see the progress and they can see the pitfalls and so on and so forth. So it's really uh, something that we find to be very educating and also we try to stay so current here that it is really a good model then to have these hands-on uh, classes so that people really are uh, learning what's going on now instead of reading maybe a textbook that was written as as uh, maybe as short as two or three years ago and not very pertinent today. Um, Aaron, it's a penny business, they say now, that especially on the recording end, it's become a penny business. Do you want to explain that? I'm not sure. A percentage of a penny, even, even streaming. Even a percentage of a, yeah, of a penny. Because it's gone from... The sale of, a, of an album, or whether it be a vinyl or a CD, uh, that could go anywhere is between maybe 70 cents to the artist, to a bigger artist, maybe up to $2, down to then getting uh, d digital downloads, which the artist gets a few cents on, now going down to the most popular form of 
artist's revenues are the biggest part of, of, of if you look at an artist's record royalty statement, the largest part of that statement is what they call the streaming section. And there is fractions of a cent coming in on that. So it's the largest in the number of pages mm-hmm. and, and, and the and, royalty But not report. the largest in the money. <laughs> but the money is still... Uh, the largest in the money is, is the use of the song, master use or sync use. Yes, right. In a commercial, if you can if you can get something like that, that's wonderful. Sell, so, selling music today, you're not going to do much of it. You, if you're not a touring band, you're in trouble. you got to go and tour. Mm-hmm. People want the experience. They want to see you. Well, for most bands that you see, let's say you have a pie chart in front of you, and of all the different revenue streams, what is usually the... the uh, in general, the largest stream of revenue that you're seeing in most uh, bands acts today? Um, touring. It is right. touring would some, be number Some might have uh, publishing. Uh, if, they've, if they've been around a long time, there's a lot of classic songs. That might be a big portion of their income, but still nothing beats touring. If, they're out, if they are out touring, I mean, you've got to go out and tour. <laughs> uh, if you do a 40, 50 sh- show run, uh, you're going to make your money in touring. And then the next big... Uh, revenue stream that's going to come in from touring is merchandise. So the ancillary with the, under the umbrella of touring, right. uh, is certainly the most important. And then merchandise goes over to not only touring, but non-touring merch, which is online merchandise that's being sold. And there's there's bands that can live off that. Yes. So there is this myth, I think, still out there with many musicians that feel once they get a record out, that that becomes a viable revenue stream. And I've been doing quite a bit of research over the last five to eight years to try to uh, illustrate that if a band is owing a record company conservatively $200,000 when the record drops, that their chances of getting in the black and actually making some money is extremely small, and actually it's only a percentage of 1% that actually recoup uh, in the $200,000 bracket in a single year. Uh, You've been looking at royalty statements for uh, 30 years, as you said. You find that, except for the real hit makers, you find that to be the case? Uh, I would say that is the case, unless you're a pop artist or a very popular rock artist that, that has had a long, uh, you know, trail of selling records, and you're still, uh, you know, selling records, um, and you have a big fan base, so the fans will buy. Like Kiss, we say, no matter what album you put out, it's gold, mm-hmm. because there's a Kiss army, right. and you have to sell 500,000 records. Well, that's nothing, <laughs> you know, because they have this big fan base, but it's, they're they're celebrating this year their 40th anniversary. They built that fan base over 40 years. Dave Matthews has a huge fan base that's been built by his manager, Corin Capshaw, uh, since the band got together in 1991. Mm-hmm. But th- those are the people that'll that'll buy the records. Other bands, if they, and that's another very important thing for a band is to develop a fan base. I tell every artist when you're selling merchandise, the smaller artists are selling their own merch at the shows. Have a pad there. Have something there to record everybody's name, a computer, something, their name, address, forget the address, email address. Get that database built because this is your fan base. You keep telling them what next thing you're going to do. So that proves that the model today, as we've been saying in our classes, is trying to move your passive, flan, <laughs> passive, flan, your passive fan 
you become an active fan and then hopefully a fanatic fan. And a fanatic fan... Which will make you an iconic, an iconic brand. Exactly, exactly. Why don't we take a quick break? We have to run a couple... PSAs here. And then when we come back, uh, we have some more questions. And then we also have a lot of tweets that we need to get to. A lot of uh, people listening would like to speak with you, Aaron. Is that good for you? Very good. Okay. We will be right back on Music Beats 101 and more. You're listening to Brave New Radio, 88.7 FM. Remember, call in 973-720-2738 or tweet us at Music Biz 101 WP. We will be right back. We are back. Music Boy. biz. How exciting is this, Dr. Stephen Marconi? This is very exciting. I'm learning something. We are learning. This is a great thing about Music Biz 101 and more, the show that we are hosting right now, because every show so far, we've always we have learned something. Exactly uh, we've learned right. a couple. We had uh, Carl Guthrie on uh, a few weeks ago, who's an entertainment lawyer, and he brought up a couple uh, points about. Uh, artists and how much revenue they earn, for example, from downloads mm-hmm. from iTunes. And um, if you wrote the song, how much legally you should be able, you should be getting the statutory rate as opposed to any control composition right. rate. And uh, he, he mentioned a couple things that I brought up at the time of the show that the textbooks either have wrong or aren't sane. So that's why this show is great for us because mm-hmm. we're learning more than. Carl's uh, on top of it. Yeah. And we hope that this becomes truly a reservoir of information for all musicians out in the community who uh, have questions about how business works and how they can survive. Right. And the community, now that we have our podcast, the community is worldwide. So, Very good. Yeah, yes. But, there, but there's, there's so much out there, and there's, there's not a whole lot of inf- free, you know, information out there that people can find about the music business, especially the things you're saying about what baby bands need to know and mm-hmm. all that. But we do have some tweets. Do you mind if we ask you uh, some questions via the tweet? All right. What is your Twitter address for your company? <laughs> it is, I think it's VP Entertainment. No, it's, it's, it's Entertainment Tax 101. Entertainment Tax 101. I believe 101. that's it. Okay. Because they, uh, they did a good job today and they um, retweeted. They retweeted out the street because we're streaming this live. Yeah. Those of us listening live, Actually, you're on. Actually, my granddaughter handles that at my firm. Really? All right. She handles the Facebook page, the website, and the uh, tweeting. Oh, that's nice. Twitter. Twitter? Yeah. Yes. The tweeting on Twitter. Chelsea uh, has a question for you. She says, hey, Aaron, from a business manager point of view, how do you feel about music streaming? And we just talked a little bit about that, but but what would you what would your impression be of, of the, the streaming format in terms of revenue for it's talking about a revenue stream yeah yeah oh, re- a revenue stream or i mean music, music streaming music as a revenue stream yeah, it's going to be a very little stream it's going to be a trickle unless they change uh, some of the payment plant payment methods on it right now it you're not going to make much off streaming. And you hear a lot of artists complaining. Um, Tom York of Radiohead has been a very loud complainer. Uh, David Byrne of the Talking Heads mm-hmm. has complained. I guess if you have head in your name, then you're going to complain. But uh, York has pulled his stuff. He's in a band, I think, called Adams for Peace, and he's pulled all of his stuff off of... Now, here's my question for you. He's pulled all of his stuff off of Spotify, claiming that Spotify doesn't pay enough to artists, mm-hmm. even though artists are getting their payment from the record company and their contract, not necessarily directly from Spotify. But he has hasn't pulled this stuff off of YouTube, and YouTube is streaming revenue as well. Do you have any idea what YouTube pays? Uh, no, I, I don't. I really don't know that. Right. And because from everything that I've read, YouTube, the labels and the pros have signed uh, NDAs, non-disclosure agreements, with mm-hmm. YouTube, so therefore they're not telling anybody how much artists are getting. So you're just, com- you're just receiving revenue 
it states, I guess, a line item, YouTube's videos, streams. Is that how it looks? I'm, not, I, uh, I'm just trying to think of the var- – because we see, you know, uh, statements from Universal, from Repu- Republic at Universal, Universal, Atlantic, Warner Brothers there. Uh, uh, I don't think it actually says the word YouTube anymore. Is it just a, just a blanket streaming? Yeah, it'll say the song, and then it'll give the streaming and, and what type of streaming it might have been, and that's it. What about Pandora? Because that's also part of the streaming yeah, side yeah, of it. You don't see that. Because did you see what Bette Midler, she, speaking of tweets, Bette Midler tweeted something uh, about a week and a half ago complaining that for, I think it was either two or four million plays mm-hmm. on Pandora. Um, $466? So, yeah, yeah <laughs> something like that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Pandora has a... Uh, a rate, a statutory mm-hmm. rate from the copyright office, right? Uh, because they are considered a a radio and uh, not on demand. Where uh, I'm confused now because they consider Spotify an on demand situation, and I don't understand the difference. I'll say it on radio. Well, uh, well spot, there's Spotify radio, yeah, and then there's Spotify right, which you have like on your phone or right. which you're creating playlists right. and all that. I know that. Uh, and not necessarily was that distinction made from what I was reading. Uh, you actually, you pointed out a very um, comprehensive article on streaming that was out on Pitchfork uh, on April 16, called, um, well, whatever. It's called streaming, but if you go to Pitchfork and you go to April 16, it'll come up. And it's a fairly long article, but it is actually... Uh, excellent, and the uh, several points they make that one I would, wasn't aware, and if you are, Aaron, that Spotify um, actually gave the big three twenty percent of their business. I didn't know that the big three. I didn't know they got. I didn't know that. I know that they were in negotiations. Yeah. Uh, for that, but I didn't know what the deal was. Right. So that so they are actually paying them twenty percent. So and that makes artists very upset too. See the uh, David Byrne, et cetera, et cetera, because <laughs> this idea that the big three, who are the, of course, the the nemesis of the whole industry, uh, in the musicians' eyes, are actually owning a piece of Spotify and we're only getting peanuts from Spotify makes uh, just makes a bad taste in every musician's. Uh, mouth about this well that'll get even worse uh once spotify and it will happen whenever they go public and if it happens next year two years from now and and they you know the company as it is is valued in the billions Mm -hmm. so whenever they go public and that 20 percent that each label owns is just going to go in the stratosphere and you're going to hear artists complaining about that and uh, this article also brought out a very interesting point because dan eck the head of spotify is uh the bad boy of the industry he's ruining the recording industry and what really has happened is a transformation that I agree with that no longer is revenue at point of sale. Point of sale almost doesn't exist anymore. So you're throwing that model that we've had since 1920 or earlier right out the window. And there is this new model that is taken, that the, the consumer has taken to heart. And it is not, has anything to do with the old model. So therefore, he's not really ruining the record industry the industry is evolving because of technology and merchandising um you know new and different merchandising aspects uh but it's just another case again of many of the 
musicians that sometimes are living in the past because that's the way they they did it or that's the way they received revenue. And uh, as you said, Dave, that in the future, possibly uh, when rates settle down and so on and so forth, that somebody will be able to make a decent living through streaming, through the revenue from streaming. Music Rocks has a question for you, Aaron Van Dyne. What's the most important thing a music business manager has to do? What's the most important thing, uh, aspect of your job, would you say? With relation to the client, I, sure, I, yeah. I would think the most important thing is to, uh, is to you know, take care of the client and, and be a trustworthy advocate for the client. The, you're the fiduciary for that client. You take care of once you start taking care of somebody's uh, funds, receiving all their money and paying their bills, they have to have a lot of trust in you. And a lot of times it takes a long time for somebody to give you that trust. I've worked with professional athletes that uh, for a few years I just did their uh, tax returns. And then finally they said, no, you better just collect my money and pay my bills because I'm not getting it done. Or I'm, you know, I'm traveling so much I'm missing a real estate payment, tax payment or insurance. But I think that's one of the most important things is to have that connection with the client and, and make sure, you know, I, I'm not there to, to tell clients how to play their instruments or what to write or anything like that. I mean, that's not my business. Do most artists have a separate business manager from their manager? I don't know if most do. Probably if you took all the artists there are, because there's so many smaller ones, probably not. Um, uh, most, I would say, larger artists, big touring artists and recording artists have both. And I know of some large bands that only have a business manager. They feel they don't need a manager anymore because they've been pretty much managing themselves all these years, but they need somebody to take care of the, track the funds and, and take care of everything. The, with a personal manager and a business manager, it actually becomes a, a, a checks and balances. Right. Because you can't and you shouldn't have checks written to the personal manager. They should... Right. Always have a check come to the business manager into the artist's holding account, right. and then the business manager writes a check to whomever. We we pay the the personal manager or the artist manager out of you know whatever his royalty or commission his commission is going to be. Right. And a personal manager doesn't need any type of um, legal license or a legal statute to be a personal manager. No, where a business manager and a certified public accountant is is as such a certified public accountant. Right, there's a license. Agents have a license. Uh, CPAs have a license. Pretty much anybody could be a manager. Exactly. Uh, and the one good thing about, uh, I've seen in, in my career, I have been with, uh, I'm still with a few bands now that we're on, the, we're on the fourth or fifth manager. And I'm still there from the beginning. So that's been a good thing. Yes. You, know, you don't get as much in as much trouble as the business manager. <laughs> Artist managers can make decisions. They can get them tossed pretty easily. Yeah, yeah. Ryan Sinisi wants to know, does a business manager typically handle more clients at once versus a personal manager? Um, that's a good question. Um, we have, you know, a number of clients. Uh, but, I, you know, and I know another. there's another business manager. I do all his tax work. He probably has about 70 or 80 clients, but then there's artist managers like Red Light Management, who manages Dave Matthews' band, that has over 200 clients, 200 bands or artists. So 
you know, if I mean, if it's a single, now Red Light has 50 managers now down. I think they're the biggest independent management company in the world right now. Uh, so it's hard to say. That's a hard one to say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. Uh, Sierra wants to know. She has a question. At what point should a serious band become an LLC? Uh, for example, a local band that wants to tour but doesn't yet have a solid fan base yet. Well, if they're going to get paid, uh, you know, some substantial money, and I mean substantial money, more than $600 in a year, <laughs> they're going to f- receive Forms 1099. Um, they're going to have to have some type of structure to divvy that money up. So that would be maybe the time to form an LLC um, and and get that done. And an LLC can be done pretty inexpensively and handled pretty inexpensively. Once they're going to start touring outside the state and they're going to do multi-state, then we recommend you form an S-corporation or a corporation and become an S-corporation, small business corporation. And the advantages of an LLC over just uh – the guitar player and the other guitar player having a partnership uh, is what? Well, the difference, you know, and Carl Guthrie, of course, would, would answer that greater than me, but the difference between an LLC and a partnership is the words LLC stand for limited liability company. There's no word liability in partnership. Partnerships are each partner is severally and jointly liable for the acts of the partners, whether it's two partners or 100 partners. So you could, you know, your personal assets could be attacked if something goes wrong in the partnership and you're sued. Limited liability company is limited to the assets in that company. And uh, you can take assets out of the company's account uh, on a monthly basis uh, to keep it. Well, you wouldn't take assets. I mean, you take funds out. Uh, you funds can, out. Yeah, That's you take what distributions, I meant. Uh, like they call them guaranteed payments. Mm-hmm. You can do that. You so that be the, running off with the assets. <laughs> so the money in the account then would be kept low, so that if you were sued, you could only be sued. Well, I don't. Th- I don't think anybody walks around thinking they're going to get sued. First of all, so you. I mean, you'd want to distribute the money out every year because of the way a limited liability company works. If it's handled as a partnership for tax purposes, which most of them are, at the end of the year, each each one of the partners is going to get what they call a form K one. And you have to report that on your tax return. So you're mm-hmm. going to have to take some money out to pay the taxes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you wouldn't want to leave too much in there. But most people want to live off that. So you keep, you know, what you need in there. To we always tell artists, we like to keep a three or four month overhead run, so that we can cover the. You know, one of the biggest costs for small bands today is health insurance. Mm-hmm. Um, when bands come in and they say, "Okay, now we want to have health insurance," and they just think, you know, it's a few hundred dollars. And they start finding out it's a thousand dollars, and if and if they want to cover families, it may be two thousand dollars a month per person for family. Uh, they need a lot of money to mm-hmm. uh, you know to be kept in the till to pay that every month. Mm-hmm. So with the months they're not touring, we're still you know you don't want to cancel the health insurance mm-hmm. and the storage because there's always storage units. Mm-hmm. But th- that gets to something you mentioned earlier in the show about commitment, and when you take on an artist, you want to make sure that they're really a committed artist. Yet, do you see something like the health insurance costs as something that could hold artists back from from pursuing this because they they can't afford to do it? Well, if they they might not want to leave their position at their employment because they have health insurance, that would be the thing. Uh, but for instance, one of the bands we do is Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings. There's nine owners, and when we first started with them, they had been an established band for many years. 
but they were now going doing some major tours and touring Europe and the band members started saying you know we need to have health insurance so we we went around and we, we obtained health insurance for for them now there's nine owners and this, this health insurance is a big nut so we, you know we have to plan that into their touring that certain monies are held back to pay health insurance it's a very important thing other bands that actually start making money not only get health insurance they get open pension plans that's mm -hmm. another thing we do. We, we maintain pension plans. We don't ma physically maintain them, but we oversee them. I act as the trustee for most of the pension plans of artists that I'm involved with. Mm -hmm. Jenny wants to know, can an artist act as their own business manager if they have a good background in finance? And if so, is that even a good idea? They could. Is it a good idea? I would say probably not. They should be trying. And, and, but I do know people that, that do it on their own. Um, but I think they're better off spending their time either writing their music, recording, and going out touring. And and uh, if they can do some of the work, maybe it'll cost less for the business manager on their end. Uh, you know, there's there's some people that we just do tax work for. We don't really do the day to day bill paying. They do their own. But at times, then that comes over to us too. Yeah, I, I would think it would take a tremendous amount of time. I talk to bands about their social media. And that can, once you start going from Instagram to Twitter to Facebook mm -hmm. to YouTube to the website to blogging, you know, all that stuff, it becomes this huge task that has to be continuously done virtually every day if you really want to um, cultivate that. Mm -hmm. And I would think on the finance side, it's the same thing. There's just from the tax angles to, to uh, the pension plans, which I'm sure no 20-year-old in a band is thinking about the pension plan. I don't think they're probably even thinking about health insurance until, until their parents say, you know, you're going out. I, I'm not going to put you on my policy anymore or whatever. One, one of my great stories, and I, I think I've told Steve this story, maybe you too, is that when we started with Three Doors Down in 1999, the first year they started, um, Brad Arnold, the lead singer and songwriter, I think he was 20 years old. And when we had a meeting, we talked about all the things we needed to set up with different companies. We set up four different companies and uh, health insurance they wanted. And I suggested a 401k plan, which is a form of a pension plan. And the other three members of the band at that time were all or older than Brad. And they said, yeah, that's probably a good idea. What, how do we do it? We give a certain amount of our pay. And he didn't want to do it. He thought, oh, I don't know. So he finally, after screaming and kicking, went in for the smallest percentage out of his pay. And then after the first year, we were just very fortunate. The, the fellow that still handles that investment is out of Mobile, Alabama, did very well for them. When he saw how much money could be made, and he, he said to me, well, when would I get, when do I get this money? I says, well, the rules are 59 and a half. You could start taking it out at 70 and a half. You have to start taking some out. I'm, I'm not thinking about that. I said, this is a good, think of all the money you could put away. A year later, 2002, he was BMI songwriter of the year. He was interviewed, and they said, well, how is it, you know, coming, you were, Fixing marine, working at a marina, fixing boat motors a couple of years ago, and here your songwriter of the year. And he says, "Yeah, and I got me a four hundred one k plan." <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's great. Um, I'm reading reading the tweet. Sometimes people treat tweet, and we either talked about it or I have no idea what they're trying to say. Here's one. Um, just a, a simple one from Caitlin Pariso. She uh, wants to know what artist. Have you enjoyed working with the most? Putting you on the spot. Yeah, that's putting. Can me you on be the politically spot. Yeah. correct? Answer. Uh, I, I enjoy most of the artists I work with because uh, the artists that I don't enjoy working with, 
we call it sweeping them out. After a certain amount of time, we ask them to leave. We just end our relationship with them. That's our, our engagement letters that we can give 30 days notice. Because if somebody's involved in drugs, I don't want to work with them. If they have some other kind of mental problem, which people have, every not just music people, everybody, I don't want to work with them. Or if they don't want to really put their soul into this and, and make it work, I don't want to work with them. I happen to work with some great people, though, astute business people, like I said, Simmons and Stanley, uh, Dave Matthews, one of the greatest people I ever met in my life. Uh, the guys in Three Doors, very nice guys. I mean, just you, you don't mind. They could call you at midnight. You wouldn't mind taking the call. We only have a couple minutes left. I, I just have one quick question that I'd like to ask. It, it, it kind of goes off really about your job as a business manager. Can you talk about the winery? And, and with uh, the Dave Matthews um, bought the winery and how you got involved with that and from the business side right. and what and that, that entailed. And that, not just the winery, but that's happened with a lot of other things that we get involved outside of music. So the winery, uh, all right, he's got bought, starts this winery with a friend of his, and the friend had some wine experience from California, and that person's gone. Now we have a real winemaker down there. But um, that winery, we had to learn all about the wine business. Well, how do you do that? Well, Dave paid for us to bring a, a, a consulting firm in from Napa Valley, California, that not only did a review of his winery and the whole operation, but came to our office and taught us cost accounting for blended wines. Not just mm-hmm. for a, a, a bottle of wine, but how you do blended grapes into wine. Very, mm-hmm. They're very, uh, you know, involved uh, uh, computations for this. So we learned all that. So there's three or four people in my office that handle that stuff. And uh, it's a great niche to have, you know, that we can, we don't do any New Jersey wineries. We probably should. But I mean, we do this Virginia winery who's now done very well. And now David has a uh, deal with Constellation Wine for the Dreaming Tree wine line, which has just been fantastic. And and that's helping his Blenheim Vineyards down in, in Charlottesville. Wow. That's great. We have about a minute and a half left. Dr. Steve Marconi, would you well, like to? I would like to remind everyone that this Saturday night there is a uh, concert at Shea at 7.30 that features uh, the entire music department, what's known as a collage concert. And I'm sure anyone who's interested in classical jazz or pop music and would like to come and hear what we would call vignettes of the various ensembles, not more than three minutes uh, uh, each ensemble, each performance or each selection is not more than three minutes. Some some ensembles will play two or three selections. Uh, should really join us, and the money will go to a great cause. It goes to the music department scholarship fund. And Shire, who has been our fabulous student co-host, you are performing at the Collage Concert, correct? Yep, I'll be playing with the University Symphony Orchestra. We're doing William Tell, so it should be really fun. William Tell or Overture. Okay, and what instrument do you play, Shire? I am a clarinetist. You are a clarinetist. Mm -hmm. Will you all be dressed as the Lone Ranger or as Tonto, or will it be kind of a little bit of both? There may be a special guest appearance. I'm not sure. We sometimes have that, but I'll probably just be dressed in all black. Okay. I will be cleaning up after the horse, by the way, as soon as that's that's done. (laughs) That's the respect I get. And Aaron Van Dyne, business manager. If anybody, is it all right if anybody wanted to get in touch with you and just find out more, should they find you on LinkedIn? Should they, where should they reach out? Uh, we have a website, um, www.vb, I can't even remember, it's VBCPA <laughs> management or something like that. But uh, if they just Google me, they'll, they'll it'll come up. Uh, 
uh, and they can contact me. Yeah, I, I answer questions for a lot of uh, a lot of students that have taken courses in the past. Some of them have become clients. Others have just shot questions by me, and I'm always uh, there to help. Okay, so we do need to wrap up our show right now. It's coming up on the hour. You have been listening to Music Biz 101 and more on Brave New Radio, 88.7 FM, streaming live. And don't forget to check out the podcast at our website, musicbiz101wp.com, or you can go to Stitcher Radio and you can find us there. Uh, we will be back next week. Harvey Leeds will be our guest, who is the, as Marconi mentioned earlier, he is the uh, manager, personal business, not sorry, just personal manager for uh, Southside Johnny. And uh, we are looking forward to next week. Well, Music Biz 101 and more. So for Shire Feingold, for Aaron Van Dyne, for Dr. Stephen Marconi, I'm Professor David Phil. Yeah. What do we say when we say goodbye? Adios. We say adios, adios. adios.